you can tend to want to do it all. So one of the biggest focuses was showing me, um, you know, where the best use of my time was to best grow the company and lead the company. And so knowing that it was it was okay to spend money in certain areas or make that next hire to keep us propelling, know that I was kind of giving up a function as we continue to bring on more resources was just a really important realization for me. And it's been tremendous. I mean, we've grown 50% two years in a row. Welcome to ProCo 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This show is for people who love Colorado and who are fascinated with stories of Colorado entrepreneurs and their leaders. Success looks different here. Our lives are multidimensional, and that's why the tagline is live, work, love Colorado. I've taken the show on the road, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Aaron Neer, founder and CEO of MuniRevs, a Durango, Colorado-based company helping local municipalities more efficiently collect taxes. Now, if you're not one who loves taxes and is fine with the government not collecting them, just sit tight. You're probably also one who hates government waste and inefficiency, so I think you'll like Aaron. We'll talk about building a business that sells to the government and about Aaron's new service around the collection of fees and taxes for short-term rentals. Think Airbnb. Also, this whole thing about collecting sales tax for online shoppers, that's something we can touch on as well. Before we get started, let me give a big thank you to our friends at 92.9 The Point in Durango. Thanks for hosting us. Also to Stephanie Schnur at the Holiday Inn Hotel and Suites Durango. She's putting me up. Finally, to Jack Llewellyn, head of the Durango Chamber of Commerce, for making all these introductions and handling the logistics. So now, Aaron, we're face-to-face. You ready to go? I'm ready. Thanks for having me, Dave. Sure. Now, let's start with the problem that MuniRevs is solving. So we are a business revenue and compliance system for local government. So if you needed to pay your sales tax to a city or get a license or, or a permit in order to be compliant to operate your business there, businesses can do that through our action center. And then the, we've eliminated the paper process for our local jurisdictions. So it's what year? 2019. And this isn't automated everywhere yet? No, not even close. <laughs> Why is that? You know, it's a it's a new uh, solution. We started this in 2011, and when I first presented to communities, uh, they were incredulous that we could take this process paperless. Really? Um, but but here we are, and <laughs> we're doing it in some yeah. of our communities. Now that must make everyone, including me, just shake my head, saying, "Really, 2019, and these municipalities aren't." aren't paperless yet. And I heard your new news before we even started. Dallas just came on as your customer, right? I mean, a big city wasn't paperless in 2019. Yeah, it's it's a new uh, solution to the problem that cities just haven't realized is available, frankly. Hmm. Um, and, you know, licenses in particular can be really complicated. So yeah, yeah. one type of license for a community may need uh, a copy of the driver's license of the owner or a copy of their general hmm. liability insurance. And so our system does handle all of that, but sometimes yeah. jurisdictions think their process is too complicated to yeah. automate or to take it online. So are they asking you to make sure people still can take a number? So that's not part of it, I guess. No. (laughs) So creating a software company that serves the government, I mean, what made you want to do that? Well, I actually used to work for the government. I've been working in municipal government since uh, almost 20 years now. Hmm. But I used to be the finance director for a town here in Colorado. And when I saw how manual that process was, you know, business receiving a coupon that the city had to mail them in the mail (laughs) and filling it out by hand and 
doing the math themselves. Um, and then on the other end, the city receives that in the mail. They have to open it up and do all the data entry and do the deposit. So it came from me seeing the, how difficult it was and hmm. deciding that we needed a solution. I, I'm amazed where I live, you have to pay a convenience fee to not mail a manual check to the government, which then they have to manually process. Like, why are they disincenting me from making it cheap? You know, a lot of jurisdictions use that as an incentive to have you file online. Um, It's one of the tools that they're using. Yeah, but they're making me pay. They're not giving me a discount. What is that about? (laughs) I don't get it. Is this what you're dealing with every day? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think, okay, so you created a really complex, well, complex on the back end, but easy to deploy on the front end software tool for government. Do you think selling to government is different from selling to other kinds of customers? I think so. Um, when you're working with government, you're not just selling to them as your client. You're also taking on their citizens and their businesses. Hmm. So my solution needs to not just serve the city or the town. It also needs to serve their constituents and the, the pain or the mm-hmm. problem that they have as well. So where is there more resistance from the person using their system or inter- internal to the government themselves? You're smiling. <laughs> well, you know, if, Initially, when we launch a city, sometimes there are there's about a four percent level of businesses that do not want to file online. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it really is widely embraced once they utilize our system. Yeah. Um, we also have support teams so they can answer those questions, and that makes a big difference yeah. in a business owner's yeah. day. Um, our jurisdictions are ninety five percent online, meaning mm-hmm. that only five percent still do it manually. Yep. Um, when we first started talking to cities about this, I mean, this is almost a decade ago. Mm-hmm. There, it was, there was some resistance. They couldn't imagine that we could, number one, tell them we would take them paperless, but number yeah. two, have the technology to do so. Hmm. Um, that conversation is changing um, because we are, we're showing that we can do it and we can um, deliver that to our communities. Yeah. How do you get paid? Is that a, a piece of the equation too? Like, do, they, do they think they're going to have to pay you more than it's costing them now? So the cities, we're, we are a software solution for them. Yeah. So we're a software as a service where they pay us mm-hmm. each month. Um, so abs- obviously they need that in their budget, um, but we are able to show them the return on investment and the savings that they have, you know, those coupons they're not going to mail anymore, all the postage that they save. So there definitely is a budget line item, yeah. but the efficiencies that we create far outweigh that. Well, efficiency is an interesting term, right? Because it really means that they don't need people manually processing stuff, right? So how does that go down? Usually we see some role shifting, um, particularly in the small governments. Yeah. Um, so you, you have a lot of small governments where their accounting office may only be five people deep and they have to do accounts payable and payroll and business revenues and mm-hmm. licensing. And yeah. they're just not keeping up. And so mm. when we can come in and alleviate a bulk of that work with our automation, they can now keep up with their tasks. They can spend more time on reports and yeah. analytics. It does, doesn't tend to be an attrition mm-hmm. or an elimination yeah. situation. I, I hear that from other software companies companies where, you know, the big concern with their users that they're going to, re- you know, that it's going to result in a loss of jobs. Mm-hmm. And it, it typically just doesn't happen that way. It tends to make their businesses just better. Mm-hmm. Getting a customer like Dallas, how did that happen? Because you've, you've generally been based with smaller municipalities and right. How did you get Dallas? 
So we do have several large cities here in Colorado, uh, Englewood, Commerce City, Sheridan, uh, quite mm-hmm. a few on the front range. Um, but Dallas, you know, we participate in competitive bid processes. So mm. they issued a request for proposal and we were the successful bidder in that. Um, and, you know, we just we are the best uh, online tax system. Mm. And that was one of their objectives. And, and we were frank, our, our points, we almost got full points in their bid process wow. for having the exact solution that they needed. Wow, that's impressive. And you came out of nowhere for them, probably. Yeah, they. I think they were really pleased that we responded. <laughs> That's really cool. Hey, uh, listeners, this is Proco 360, and I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Erin Neer, founder and CEO of Muni Revs, based in Durango, Colorado, and I can see she's taking this opportunity to look at her notes. No fair. Um, hey, this is a great time to thank our sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics, and Kinsley Meetings. These great service companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Thanks also to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for supporting me and Proco 360. Um, so I think that's so cool that here, a company based in Durango that started out to build a solution for really small municipalities now just got Dallas. I think that's amazing. So does that open the door to New York City? I don't know about New York City, but we have since added, we're about to add five more in Texas. Wow. Uh, we've already added New Braunfels. They're live. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just had our first win in Virginia. Wow. So we're now in six states and just doing demos all the time to, to show our solution. Nationally. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really impressive. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And and um, I love hearing that from Colorado too. And from, you know, th- that's why I wanted to come out to the Western Slope because there's cool stuff happening here yeah. too. Uh and we'll talk about that in a minute too. Convincing customers that they want to change the way they do things. I mean, is there was there a hiccup in that? Have you like what's your secret when you go in there and you tell them I'm going to flip things on their on on their head? Right? Is there a secret word that you whisper that gets them to say yes? There's no secret. Um, really, for me, it was about traction. We needed to to illustrate and show with some case studies first. So that, again, thinking mm-hmm. of this a decade ago, yeah. before anyone was online with much of this, especially at the government level. Um, so it really was about making sure we we obtained those first two cities and delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, our first few years of growth was completely through word of mouth. Wow. And so uh, we, we had to, the proof is in the pudding, right? We yeah. had to actually go and deliver what mm-hmm. we said. And, and by doing that, those questions don't yeah. come up anymore. Did you give you- it away? Did I give it away the yeah, software? First, yeah, first. I mean, did you get, you know, to get people to try it? Yeah, the 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 cost was definitely lower then for sure. Um, and we've changed our pricing model several times. Then you have well, to sure. continue to to revise. Yeah, and as you as you revise the software, you add features too. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool because you you're now doing short term rental tax and fee collections, which to me I think immediately Airbnb, VRBO. Because cities don't have a way to make sure they're collecting, right? So what's that? All, what's your solution to that? So actually, we started that before MuniRevs. Um, my background, mm. I actually am a CPA, and uh, the audit side of me did my first VRBO audit uh, for the Telluride uh, mm. destination back in 2010. Wow. Before we even started the automated piece of that. Let me guess. They were collecting 5%. <laughs> it was such a huge uh, win in revenues wow. for them. And so we did it from that service-based pers- perspective for 
for a lot of years, and it really taught us the mechanics that we needed to then automate into our Lodging Revs product today. Uh, so hmm. we've been we we just created some great policies and best practices that really are industry standards today. From us pioneering that right from here. Hmm. And so now the system is automated. It can actually go out to 30 different websites here in the country. So it's not just VRBO and hmm. Airbnb. It's Flipkey and TripAdvisor and so many different platforms. And we bring all that data into one dashboard wow. that our clients can see those and send notices to the property owners. Wow. So so they can see every property in their jurisdiction that's advertising through any of the major portals and then make sure that they're registered. And if they're can they actually check the revenue flow through? Yep, we have an ROI report. Come on. They can no. actually see how much revenue we brought up from the last notice we sent Yeah, them. but I mean, can they, you can't hook into Airbnb or VRBO and see what they're collecting from that property, can you? We can see all the booking data on the wow. calendars. Now, keep in mind that could be a non-revenue night. That could yeah, be my stay right, that I blocked right. out the calendar. So then we have metrics that we add to that, but then we can compare mm-hmm. it with the tax returns in our remittance system that links to it all. Wow. That's really brilliant. And that also, okay, and I, I mean, it could also help enforce in certain areas that where there isn't supposed to. Do, are, are some of your clients using it for that reason to enforce where there aren't supposed to be short-term rentals? Exactly. So we wow. have different compliance statuses for each town. So like in New Braunfels, they do have a zone that mm-hmm. it's not allowed at all. Or in Telluride, they have a zone where we have to actually monitor the number of nights that they're allowed to rent throughout the year, and mm-hmm. we present them with an affidavit. So every community has different rules there for their lifestyle goals. That is freaking brilliant. <laughs> That's so amazing. And so I didn't even know that that existed. So you don't you don't have hooks into those systems, but you have you can... You can see the data enough that you can then pull it in and, and use it that way. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And we can pull it every three days we pull that in. Um, wow. And the other part that like so Maui, mm-hmm. the island of Maui is actually a client of ours as mm. well. And they have an issue where if they don't have a permit and they're renting and they send them a notice to cease and desist, mm-hmm. we have to check all the time. Our system automatically checks to see if they relist that wow. listing. So we can really catch those violators and make sure that they are going through the permit process. Well, how do you charge for that when it's not a, re- you know, you can't justify it saying we're collecting more revenue. You're doing, impl- you're doing a compliance that doesn't gain them any revenue. That's just part of the package, I suppose. Yeah, and it's part of their goals. So they're yeah. going to have less less complaints, less you know concerns from their council or their border commissions. Mm. So it's they receive benefits from a different way from the kind of the public nuisance cool. side. Yeah, and they get to tell their citizens, look what we're doing. Yeah, look how compliant we are. Yeah. Our dashboard mm-hmm. shows those numbers. Wow, so they yeah. can actually report back to their citizens who've got concerns. Here's where. Blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Tell you, I just went to council hmm. last month and reported their ninety-eight percent compliance rate with us. Wow! Yeah, and so is that? That's I would think that's a good number. All of our clients are above ninety percent after their conversion process, wow. and most are above ninety-five. And what's typical if you don't have your services? Oh, when when we start with a community, yeah. if they haven't done anything. It could right. be below fifty. Wow! If, a lot of times, if they're you know using a different different source or trying to do it internally, hmm. they're at seventy. Wow. What a brilliant and easy way for them to gain revenue that they should be collecting anyway. Yeah. Wow. It works really well. That's pretty cool. (laughs) I've always said, you know, we don't want, you know, we want government to act in an entrepreneurial way, except the tax department. And, you know, here, here you're giving them a way to do that. And that's so brilliant. Good for you. How did you decide to go from being a CPA to actually starting a company? Because it's way different. It is way different. Um, You know, it really was, I had been working for local government for five years and it was really that natural next step for Hmm. me is that I had this burning solution in my mind that I needed to go invent and. Yeah, but you had, who wrote the code? I hired programmers. You did. You said here's, and where were they? 
Um, they were actually in Michigan at the yeah. time. Yeah. But you you said here's what I'm here's what I want to create. Here's how it's supposed to work. Here's the flow. Now you write it. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably a lot faster than teaching yourself how to write code. I would yes. think. Yeah, I did yeah, teach yeah. myself the code in 2014 just oh, really? to make. It's hard to manage people when you don't mm. know what, what you're managing, doing? and yeah. so I, I needed mm. to do it just to make sure we had our SOPs yep. in place and mm. and good documentation. Oh, that's pretty smart. Yeah, when I had a I had a, a multimedia production company, and I didn't know how to do anything. This was back when it was really, really hard to do that stuff, and. I didn't have any skills, but what I would do is go to these conferences and I would see what the, at the user conferences and okay. see what the best users were demoing. And then I'd come back to the office and say, let's do this. And they're like, oh, you can't. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> and then I'd buy like drinks and dinner for the, like the head of training for that company or right. whatever. And, you know, then we'll call so-and-so. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So. You always have to be open to learning. <laughs> yes. So, um. Switching gears, I, uh, you talk in your past about, because in Durango, you, you use an accelerator program, and here it's called the Southwest Colorado Accelerator Program for Entrepreneurs, uh, the acronym SCAPE, there always has to be one. Um, so what's your thinking about using the accelerator and how that impacted your business? For me, it was really about the mentors. Um, you know, a lot of folks go through an accelerator thinking of a startup, and mm-hmm. I uh, went through the program in 2017. We were a mature yeah. company. We were what was profitable. Your um, I'd rather not share. Oh, okay, that's all right. <laughs> um, but yeah. we were profitable at that point yeah, yeah. And, and growing quickly, and mm-hmm. um, it just became. Um, I, I just had as an entrepreneur, sometimes it's what you say no to, not what you do next. Mm-hmm. And there are so many ways to innovate, whether it's in government or for the businesses, yeah. um, that it, it really just helps steer me in the right direction of the next uh, next investment we should make and the next resources we should deploy mm-hmm. for yeah. for the the marketplace. How many people do you have now? We are at twelve employees. That's now, all, plus and you're doing all this. That, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and and when you talk about what to do next. I don't want to forget to go, so I'm just going to ask you this question. When it comes to the, the Wayfair decision and the idea that that uh, now companies are uh, going to be responsible for like, for collecting online sales tax, right? So are you building a tool for that? We are. We actually already deployed a tool hmm. um, as a pilot program in January of 2018 called the Home Rule Portal. Hmm. Um, so there's, a, there's an action um, happening. There's actually a task force here in Colorado called the Simplification Sales mm-hmm. Tax yep. Committee. And we've been participating by attending the meetings and basically built the technology ahead of a solicitation that they're about to release mm. because we wanted to make sure that um, both the legislators, the businesses, and all the home rule cities understood that this could be solved with technology, not through changing home rule authority or any other taxation mm. measures. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we released that product in January of last year, and it's still operating today, and we'll participate in the long-term solution process there as well. That's really cool, getting out ahead of it. And do you think, have your mentors at the Accelerator been part of that process or is that, yeah, you're nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think sometimes uh, the, the biggest thing that mentors can do is, um, again, teach you the or point your head in the right direction yeah. of the next thing to pursue. Mm. And they very much were a part of me seeing that bigger picture instead of just focusing on the local, uh, the local governments. Yeah. Wow. So um, <laughs> getting back to it. So when you think about what you've learned at the Accelerator, um, can you think of a, a really specific example of advice or anything else that you got through that process that you're actually using? Really, one of the biggest things for me is, um, you know, being a CEO that started this from the ground up. And as I said, mm-hmm. I even taught myself my code to make sure yeah. I knew uh, what was going on in my operations. Um, you can tend to, to want to do it all. 
And so one of the biggest focuses was showing me, um, you know, where the best use of my time was to best grow the company and lead the company. Mm. And so knowing that it was it was okay to spend money in certain areas or make that next hire to keep us propelling, knowing yeah, that, yeah. you know, I, I was kind of giving up a function as we continue to bring on more resources was just a really important realization for me. And it's been tremendous. I mean, we've hmm. grown 50% since I've gone through, yeah. actually 50% two years in a row since wow, we've gone great. through the accelerator. What did so, you give up that you, you sh- that you didn't want to, but you had to? You know, at the very beginning, I loved doing the city support. I would talk to our city finance directors all the time and be their mm-hmm, direct support mm-hmm. and engage yeah. them a lot. And um, I have two managers that do that now that do a fabulous job. <laughs> I still miss talking to them yeah. all the time. But so it's the, maybe it's more that direct interaction, the account management, so to speak. Yeah. Have you are, you, are you still involved in the actual selling personally? I love doing the demos and the presentations. You know, we had a team that flew down to Dallas for our demonstration with Mm. them. And sharing with the local government about what we've built is one of the most rewarding things. And so I really do love that role. How do they, this is intriguing to me. How how does Dallas pick a 12 person company? Seriously, you (laughs) must've been competing against some pretty big players. You know, the other players from reading the responses, they don't have the full solution that we have. Hmm. Um, Like I said, we almost got a hundred percent of the the points for the product itself. And, um, they were going to have to build it for them versus uh, we already yeah, had it in yeah, play yeah. in operation. We'd had all this experience. But, you know, people always, that old expression, no one ever got fired for picking IBM. Well, you've heard me talk about automation since the second we started talking. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's how I built the software was um, with the proper automation and redundancy so mm-hmm. that it can scale um, yeah. so that we can be efficient and the, the, let the software and our programming team, you know, continue to add features that continue to help it scale for a large city. Hmm. So are you going to, Take, I would think in order to stay ahead of the game, you're going to have all of your competitors are going to be, you know, chasing after you trying to say, yeah, we do all that too. So how much of your, what percentage of your revenue goes back into things like R&D and continuing development and so forth? We're continually investing. I, I would say right now it's right around 30% mm-hmm. that continues yeah. to go back into new features. That's cool. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I remember in business school, it's like, there was this exercise where you had to forecast which company is going to be most successful. And of course it was the one that did all this substantial, consistent R and D, even when they could barely afford it. Right. But it's crucial. It's crucial. And, and also creating efficiencies, whether it's for the cities or for ourselves in terms of automated processes Mm -hmm. versus labor necessarily. What's next? I don't know if you can share what's next, but what have you recently released that we haven't talked about yet? So one uh, product we're about to release mm-hmm. is uh, called our Inco Marketplace, and it's it's to solve the latest rule here in Colorado and in other states as well, where um, businesses below, even small businesses now here in Colorado, need to remit everywhere they're shipping to. Right. And um, it, it can create a pretty big burden for these businesses. Oh, huge. Yeah, especially the smaller ones. You know, we talked to a business the other day in Cortez, and, um, you know, she doesn't have very many online sales, but mm-hmm. now all of a sudden she needs to file taxes in mm-hmm, you know, 20 mm-hmm. or 30 more yeah. locations. And so we're developing a solution for that that can integrate um, as their marketplace through their their online mm-hmm. store yeah. to solve that for them. So how do you get to a point, you know, every software, you look at Microsoft, you know, they add more and more features and eventually it just becomes this you know, terrible, buggy, slow, obviously it's not slow anymore because the processor's sped up. But, but I mean, how do you keep your software from just becoming this crazy, um, I don't know, mess of add-ons, right? Do you have to at some point just redo it all from scratch? 
Not if you build it right. You have uh, to have the architecture map planned out from day one, and you have to have a good programming team to help make sure that as we're designing things, we're doing it. Essentially, everything we build becomes a tool that's functional mm-hmm. uh, within the user interface, so things mm. aren't deep in the code, yeah, and they're yeah. not adding bad queries. And huh. So you have to make sure you have the right design team on board as you're building so that that long-term vision is seen from day one. Well, as you do that, I mean, at, at some point, you're really beholding to this development team, aren't you? I mean, does that worry you at all? No. I mean, um, we're very fortunate. Our development team has been with us for four years now, and they're amazing. We have these Mm. great programmers. But as I just said, so um, essentially everything we build these days is is coming up into the user interface so Mm -hmm. that our staff are being trained on it Mm. and it's push-button tools like you'd see in Word or Excel. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, versus things being built that are in the code that need a lot of maintenance or tweaking by a program. Which is is really a good thing when it comes to uh, cities like Dallas, right? I mean, you know, your competitors don't think, we'll customize, we'll customize, we'll customize, which, you know, is so expensive Mm -hmm. and so slow and generally doesn't work very well, right? Exactly, exactly. So so, uh, when you deploy... um, what percentage do you think is is custom for if you were to go to a new city? Oh, less than ten percent. Wow, that's yeah. great. Yeah, hmm. it's uh, pretty standardized. I mean, there are things like tax rates or um, you know the actual workflow that a community mm-hmm. presents for a permit. Um, you know the documents they request; those are always different, but they're mm-hmm. all in a tool, and the city can even create them in our system wow. rather than even our. That's staff. pretty cool. So who would have expected, I, I, this is all fascinating to me that this, uh, this, something this complex is available for, for cities and they don't already have it, but so I'm going to shift gears entirely and keeping focused on the theme of the Proco 360 podcast, which is world-class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado. What have you found about the Colorado entrepreneurial environment that maybe you're not seeing elsewhere? I think that, um, particularly in my talent that I hire, I see, Hmm. The desire for um, job satisfaction or stimulation um, within their job, but still with the ideal of being able to live the Colorado lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so the talent we're able to recruit is so much different and the benefits that we can offer them is so much different than – um, let's call it the rat race yeah, in, in another yeah. in another state that may not have all the recreation and the other things that our employees are seeking mm-hmm. as a recruiting tool for us. Well, as a recruiting tool, it's great. As a service model, does it create problems when you've got customers in all different time zones that need help and your people want to have a joyful life uh, outside of Durango? You know, that staggered schedule can work out really well. Is that well. what you're doing? Yeah, so you could have a support person work seven to three instead mm-hmm. of you know, eight to five, and they they might like to get out for that hike at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. Is that what you've managed to do is you create a, a schedule among your team that lets mm-hmm. people do what they want? Yeah. That's cool. Good yeah. for you. And I suppose as you add more people, that'll become, is that going to stay as part of the way you operate? Yeah, it depends on the role, obviously, yeah. management versus different uh, support levels in, in, the, in the office. But yeah, it depends on the role. We also allow remote working as well, which makes a big difference um, as well, because a lot of our employees may not want to commute or... Um, they, they want to work in, in a certain area or where their home is. And so we allow that and we have all these great tools hmm. to manage that. And it's just a huge recruiting tool. That's for us. really cool. Yeah. So last question. I mean, you started, as you mentioned, roles and you started as a CPA and uh, now you're CEO of a company that's growing pretty fast and doing really well. So how's your role changed? I mean, what have you learned along the way that's made you different? I would say delegation. I would still really? go back to that. When you start as an entrepreneur, you're doing everything from the ground up, um, obviously with expert resources. But you need to know 
not only your company in and out, but your clients and, and the, the uh, that sales mm-hmm, cycle you talked mm-hmm. about. You know them personally. You make sure that as we're building the product, we're actually serving their needs. And so, um, you know, some of those roles I've had to to shift and find different talent to do that for yeah. us. And and that and that can be really hard mm. when you're an entrepreneur yeah. and you you started out with a passion to serve a particular client base. Yeah. But is your to, mind is your mindset shifted? I would say I'm more visionary than I was yeah. even at the beginning. You know, as an inventor, that's odd to yeah, say, but yeah. um, you start to see, uh, you start to let your visions go a little bit further because you've seen some traction and some success mm-hmm. behind them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, right now we're working on our fifth product, mm. you know, and, and when I started Muni Revs, did I think that we would, you know, have dovetailed into all these other uh, additional ancillary products? Uh, probably not. Mm. And even in the last eight, three years ago, I may not have en- wow. envisioned some of them from the Wayfair ruling and everything. That's impressive. It's really impressive, and I and I was preparing for. I hadn't realized just how how far you'd gotten, and this is really great. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and today I'm Proco 360. You've been listening to my conversation with Aaron Near, founder and CEO of Muni Revs, a really impressive surprisingly impressive uh, Durango-based Colorado company. Aaron, thanks. It's been great. Thanks for having me. And listeners, thank you for joining me on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, Microstar Keg Logistics, Community Banks of Colorado, Kinsley Meetings, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. Thanks finally to 92.9 The Point, the studio where we're recording today. We appreciate you hosting us. And to Jack Llewellyn of the Durango Chamber of Commerce for getting all this put together. That's the show, Live, Work, Love, Colorado. 